I want to welcome you to the kickoff of our campaign, 40 Days of Prayer. Of course, it's appropriate that we'd start 40 Days of Intentional Prayer. This is a spiritual growth campaign that we do every year. And so if you would just take your message notes, if you would grab them and get ready to go. Again, the reason we do this every year is because this is an important part of our spiritual growth. Frankly, it's an important part of our growth as a church. You know why? It's because many of our problems in life come from a lack of maturity. In fact, most of our problems in life come from a lack of spiritual maturity or a lack of emotional maturity. Most of the problems in the world come from people who aren't spiritually mature or emotionally mature. You just think about that. Poor attitudes, giving in repeatedly to temptation, bad decision-making, selfishness, being led by your ego, um, continually giving in to sinful appetites, anger and uh, treating people badly. See, these are areas of spiritual immaturity in people's lives. And the fact is, when you're not spiritually mature, when you're not walking regularly and right with Jesus, you're gonna make dumb decisions. You get manipulated by your moods. You build decisions based on how you feel instead of on what's right or true. God says, I don't want you to live like that. God says, it's my will that you and I, that we'd grow up. Now, guys, I got to tell you, I love kids. Kids are cute. I love babies. Babies are cute. But a child that doesn't grow up, that's not cute. That's tragic. This is why Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14 says, listen, that we should no longer be little children that are tossed and carried about by all kinds of teachings that change like the wind. No, God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth and tell it in love, like Christ in everything. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us, so that we will, if you just underline this last part, watch this, so that we will grow up healthy in God, robust in love. In other words, God says to men, men, I want you to be a man of God. God says to women, women, I want you to be a woman of God. Because there are lots of people who grow old, but they never grow up. And God says, that is not who I've called you to be. I want you to grow up. Now, so what I want to do here as we begin our 40 days of prayer is I just want to give you three keys as to how you grow up spiritually. We're going to talk about three keys to grow up spiritually or tips that I'd give you. And then I'm going to kick off and talk to you just a little bit about prayer. That's how I'll close. But first, let's talk about this. How do you grow spiritually and emotionally over the next 40 days, six weeks? Write this down. Number one, you'll begin to grow over the next 40 days if you feed on God's word, write that down. If you feed on God's word, guys, listen to me. This book, the Bible is food for your soul. God says it is. In fact, it's interesting because Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, chapter four, he says, no one can live on food alone. 
He says, no, no, no. He says, human beings, human beings need every word that God has spoken. We need his word to grow. In fact, it's an interesting little fact about human beings. I don't know if you've thought about this before, but God says, we're not just physical creatures. We're spiritual creatures. We're emotional creatures. So God says we need spiritual food. We need emotional food. God says, you've got to dig into my word if you're going to grow as a person. And he says, look, if you don't eat right, you're not going to grow up spiritually. Have you ever noticed, by the way, it is a fascinating thing. How many physical laws correspond to spiritual laws? For example, physical law. If you eat junk food all the time, you're never going to get healthy. You may exercise two hours a day, but if you eat bad, you're not going to be a healthy person. You won't grow the way you should. Well, same is true spiritually. You may work for God. You may do all sorts of things for God. You can work out spiritually, but if you're not eating right, you're not going to be spiritually healthy. You've got to feed on the words of God. That's why I like the way that uh, the message puts this same scripture when it points out that Jesus said in Deuteronomy, it takes more than bread to stay alive as a human being. It takes steady streams from the words of God's mouth. Now, that is the scripture. Now, here's the problem. Listen to me for just a minute. Most people, the problem is they're not feeding enough. Now, the average churchgoer, if you're a churchgoer, you might feed on Sunday. But let me just ask you a question. What would happen if you lived your physical life in such a way that every Sunday you went to the buffet table and you gorged and you ate all sorts of food, but then the rest of the week you just starved yourself, you ate nothing? How would your kids grow if that's the way that you fed your kids? Oh, you know, it would harm their health. You've got to eat a little bit every day if you're going to grow healthy. God says, you've got to feed your soul a little bit every day. Now, at North Point, we want to help you develop that habit. In fact, that's what we're about here at North Point, is encouraging you and teaching you how to develop habits that will grow you up spiritually. Now, whether that's five minutes a day or 15 minutes a day or 20 minutes a day, it's what we teach around here. In fact, we, we teach that from the beginning when you're just kids. In fact, just take a look at this picture here. This is the coolest thing. Our NP Kids Ministry and what they do with kids, teaching them to pray and teaching them to get into God's word. They're still doing it today. In fact, here's a kids group COVID style as they call on God and teach them what it means to dig into God's word and spend time in prayer. Notice this. Paul says, and now I commend you to God. Notice this. And to the word of his grace, which is able to do what? To build you up. <laughs> to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. In fact, would you do this? Would you just circle that word inheritance? What's that word about? It means God wants to give you everything that he has pre-planned for you to inherit. All the blessings that God has predestined for you to gain. He wants to give it to you but you've got to feed yourself with the word of his grace. Would you like to have that? Because over the next 40 days, we're going to be teaching you how to begin to get that in your life. And we're going to teach you. And we're going to reteach you. And we're going to inspire you. And we're going to motivate you to spend time in the words of God, whether it's five minutes a day 
or 10 minutes a day or 15 minutes a day or a half hour, whatever it is. And God says, by doing it, you're going to get healthier. Look what God tells Joshua in Joshua chapter one. This is just as the people are going in to take the land in the Old Testament. God says, here's the key to success. Here's the key of how you live successfully in life. He says, always remember what is written in the book of the teachings. He says, you need to study it day and night. Notice, be sure to obey everything that is written. And if you do, he says, you will be wise and successful in everything. So you've got to feed on the words of God daily if you want to grow. Now, here's the second key I want to give you. Over the next 40 days, here's how you're going to grow. Write this down. Number two, you'll grow if you commit yourself to others. Now, of course, uh, you're going to be tempted throughout this 40 days at some point just to do it on your own. You're going to get busy and you're going to feel like, oh, I don't know if I have time to connect with others and do small group and all of that. And I'm just telling you, listen to me, you're not going to grow like you should if you choose to do it alone. It's just not going to happen because God didn't make for you to do life that way. God didn't make for human beings to do it alone. In fact, we taught on this not too long ago in our last series when we talked about the purpose of fellowship, if you'll remember. We talked about spiritual friendship. And do you remember what we said? At the very beginning in Genesis, when God created the universe and he created the world, he looked down on the perfection of creation and he said, this is good and this is good and this is good. But he looks right into perfection and he says, oh, there's one thing that's not good. Now, I want for you to know he said that before sin had ever entered the world. There's no sin that has corrupted ever anything, but he looks and he stares into perfection and he says, there's one thing that can improve upon perfection. And that is that man should not be alone. Listen, every other ache in your life is a result of sin. Every ache in your life happens because of sin, except for one ache. The ache of loneliness or the need for people, that's an ache that comes from perfection because God made you to do life with others. In fact, I don't know if, if you've ever thought about this or not, but you know, this is what makes Christianity so different from every other faith in the world. Why? Because every faith says that the holiest, most righteous, most pure person needs to isolate themselves from a dirty, rotten humanity. And so what do they do in other religions? They go out and they live in some cave somewhere high on a mountain and they become some sort of guru. And you'd call that person a holy person because they stay away from people. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Jesus says, I've made you to be with people. In fact, just go and read the gospels. Jesus isn't hiding in some cave somewhere. Where's Jesus? Jesus is out in the marketplace. Jesus is going to parties. Jesus is going to weddings. Jesus is a wedding crasher. Jesus is going out and, you know, the religious people, they hated it so much, they called Jesus a glutton. They called Jesus a wine bibber. They said, you're a drunk and you're an overeater. They said, Jesus, you eat too much, you party too much, you drink too much. Why did they say that about Jesus? Well, it's because Jesus was with the people. Now, friends, why does God want for you to commit to people? Why should you be in a small group? Let me say it very, very clearly. It's because it's only by being with people that you will actually learn how to love. You don't learn how to love by yourself. 
You pray, God, teach me how to love. Teach me how to love. And God says, okay, I'll put you in a small group. You say, God, teach me how to love. And God says, okay, I'm going to put you in a small group with people that irritate you, with people that bother you, with people who don't think like you. And then you're going to have to learn how to love. That's the way you learn it. And God says, I'm preparing you for eternity. And in this time, I want you to learn how to love. So over the next 40 days, we're going to put you in an environment where you learn how to love others because we're encouraging you to group up with people. Now, Guys, let me give you some background. This is so important. Here at North Point, we make it a custom. It is our, you can say this, it is our liturgy to group up in two regular ways. We do what I'd call large group worship and we do small group fellowship. Now, where'd we get that idea? (laughs) Well, we get that idea from the Bible. It's the way that churches have been organized from the beginning. In fact, you notice in Acts chapter 2, at the dawn of the church, it says, And every day the Christians, in the temple and in people's homes, they continued to teach and preach the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. Now, you might just circle two things here. Circle in the temple and circle in people's homes. Now, this is the first church. And this is their liturgy. This is their habit. In the temple was large group worship. That would be the modern day equivalent of the church, but also in people's homes. You need small group fellowship where you connect with others. You need both. And so what we're going to do is we're going to kick off this campaign with both things. It's why we want you to get involved with both. Listen, there are things that uh, you can do in a small group that you can't do in a large group. You can really pray for one another in a small group. You can lay a hand on a person's shoulder, uh, you know, with masks on, but you can lay your hand on a person's shoulder and you can pray over them and call on God. You can, you can, um, you can uh, give words of wisdom to one another. You can, everybody can have a turn to talk in a small group, but in a large group, you can't do that. But then again, there are things in a large group that we can't do in a small group. We can create the most meaningful times of worship with synergy and energy as a result of gathering together in large groups. That doesn't happen the same way in small groups, but you really need both. We're going to ask you to do both. That's why tonight at 6 p.m. we're doing a large group meeting on the lawn. It's going to be a prayer and worship night. We encourage you to come. We're going to begin to call on God and kick off this, uh, this spiritual growth campaign just by calling on God and worshiping him together. And then this coming week, you'll be in small groups. Notice Acts 2.42, put it this way. It says they followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by what? There you go, meals at home. Every meal is celebration, exuberant and joyful. And they praised God. Notice this. People in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added those who were being saved. Now friends, I look at a scripture like this and I think, boy, I I just pray that's us. That people would see that we're worshiping together large, but we're also gathering together intimately. And they'd say, I like that. I want to be a part of that. And that God reaches people in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, the easiest way to get involved in a small group, I'll just tell you right now, is just for you to start one. 
You just go find two or three people that you already know. They could be friends that you have. And you just say, hey, let's, let's get together. Let's do it over Zoom or let's get together in my backyard on the patio. We'll social distance, whatever it is. But you say, let's do small group together. Two or three people. By the way, with a small group, the smaller the better. Some people think, well, I need to get 10 to 15 people. No, you don't. In fact, if you have 10 to 15 people, the group is probably too big. Not everybody's going to get a chance to share. But if you get two or three people or five people, everybody has a chance to group up together. I encourage you to do that. Some of you say, well, I don't have any friends. Well, we'll find you friends. Just let us know that you want to be in a small group. We'll figure that out. But you've got to commit to people. Now, here's the third key I want to give you for your spiritual growth. If you just write this down. Again, I said three, so here's the third one. You'll grow over the next 40 days if you expect growth and if you're willing to commit yourself to it. You've got to expect it and you've got to be willing to follow through with a commitment. Now, let's just start with expecting the growth. What do I mean? Well, Jesus said to a guy one time in Matthew's gospel chapter nine, he said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. I'll tell you, there is something to be said for that principle. According to your faith, let it be done to you. Now, I just ask you this question. What are you expecting God to do in your life over the next 40 days? What are you believing God for? Because if you expect nothing, that's exactly what you're going to get. But according to your faith, it'll be done. So you've got to say, God, what do you want to do in my life over the next 40 days? God, how do you want to grow in my heart and in my life? God, what are the habits that need to change for me? And you begin to make a goal and you take it to God in prayer. I encourage you to do it. In fact, I encourage you just to write the goals down. Say, God, this is what I want to see you doing in my life. And then you commit to it. You commit to do what God says. Friends, listen to me. Spiritual growth is not automatic. I said earlier, people can grow older, but that doesn't mean they grow up. I have seen marriages wrecked because people never grow up. I do premarital counseling with couples all the time and we sit together and they want to know what are the secrets to a happy marriage? And they say, we've heard that money will ruin your marriage or we've heard that stress will ruin your marriage or we've heard the challenges of raising kids will ruin your marriage. And every one of them I say, it's not money, it's not stress, it's not raising kids. It's your own maturity as to how you're able to handle those things. Are you growing up spiritually? Are you growing up emotionally? Friends, you got to commit to that. Now, people are afraid to commit these days. Isn't that an interesting thing? The fear of commitment. But I want to say to you that the epitome of immaturity is an unwillingness to commit. A fear of commitment shows that you are absolutely immature. Because the only way that you're going to grow is by making commitments and then growing into those commitments. Now, you might make mistakes, you might struggle into the, in the commitment, but you've got to grow into the commitments that you're willing to make. I just ask you, how different do you intend to be by next year? Do you ever think about that? What do you want to see changed this time next year outside of COVID being over? How do you want to see your character has changed? 
How do you want to see your relationships have changed? How do you want to see that your daily quiet time and disciplines with God has changed? Do you want to be more mature? Do you still want to be the person that you are right now? Because I'm going to tell you, change is not going to happen without commitment. What are you willing to let God do in the next 40 days? And and I just say, I encourage you to take that to God in prayer. And you bring others in and you tell others the commitments that you've made. And you covenant and commit with them to do it. So, in our remaining time, I just want to kick off and talk to you about how do you take your prayer to God? How do you begin to talk to God? And we're just going to, we're going to finish with that. I'm going to give you a few different keys on how to get close to God in prayer. Then we'll be done for today. You ready? All right, here we go. Let's start with prayer. How do you do that? Number one, first thing you need to know about prayer is that you and I have to be approaching God with the right kind of attitude. You approach God with the right attitude. Now, I have seen over and over and over again people that get very frustrated with their prayer life. They feel like the prayers are going nowhere. They don't feel a connection to God. They don't feel like they're getting any results. And one of the reasons for that is they have a misunderstanding of what prayer is. And so because they don't understand what prayer is, they come to God with the wrong attitude, with with the wrong expectations, In fact, what I'd like to do is just say a few things here about what prayer is not so that we'd come to God rightly with what prayer is. So what is prayer not? Write this down. Go through these very quickly. First of all, prayer is not a magic wand. Prayer is not a magic wand. In other words, prayer is not like, you know, the stick that Harry has in Harry Potter that you just wave it and poof, you know, that things just change because you've done something and everything suddenly is supposed to get better. God is not a genie in a bottle. You know, it's not like you do everything right and you go through the motions and God pops out and says, you know, your wish is my command. No, God's not your genie. God's not your servant. No, on the other hand, you are God's servant. And prayer is about you getting in tune with who God has made you to be. Prayer is about you going to God and saying, God, how would you have me to change? How would you have me to live? How can I serve you? What is, what is it you'd have for me to do? That's really what prayer is about. Now write this next thing down. What is prayer not? Prayer is not a secret formula. In other words, what I mean to say is that it's not about some secret words. It's not about some secret incantation. You know, it's not about what uh, secular people call the law of affirmation, where if you just speak things in the right order, the right words and the right, you know, it's just going to cause things to happen. If I just speak the right things into the universe, no, that's not what prayer is. And that's not a godly way of thinking about it. It's like, you, you don't like your husband. So you say, abracadabra, I have a better husband. And suddenly your husband's better. No, that's not the way it works. Prayer is not just some secret words. What else is prayer not? Prayer is not, write this down, a fire extinguisher. What I mean by that is that prayer is not just something you do when you're in an emergency. It's like, I can't pay the bills, so, well, now I pray. Or I found that I have cancer, so now I pray. Or my husband's about to walk on me, so now I pray. Let's pray. You know, that's not the way prayer works. It's not meant to be, you know, in case of emergencies, break glass here. That's, that's not what prayer's about. Now, there's a lot of people that treat prayer that way. 
I'll never forget a guy called me one time and he had an emergency and he said, pastor, could you come over to my house? Because I really want to commit my life to Jesus, you know? And, and, uh, and so he called me and I said, well, what's going on? And And uh, he began to tell me that the doctor had called him and he had gotten some information about a terminal illness that he thought he had. So he said, I really want you to come over. I want to commit my life to God. So I go over to his house and I get there and uh, we start talking a little bit. He says, oh, pastor, I'm sorry for bothering you, especially at this hour. He says, but you know, I I don't feel like I need to pray anymore. The doctor's office called back and told me that uh, it wasn't me. They got the wrong patient. So I don't feel like I need to pray. And Sometimes people treat prayer that way. It's like because there's an emergency and guys, I'm just going to tell you, God says, that's not what I'm about. Prayer is about relating to God. It's about loving God. It's about seeking God. Let me give you this final thing. Prayer is not a ceremony. It's not something with a bunch of particular rules and regulations that you have to do a certain way or, you know, it's not going to work right. No, it's not a ceremony. Prayer is a conversation. What does prayer mean? Prayer means that you talk and God listens, but it also means that God talks and you listen. It's a conversation. In fact, one of the reasons I'd say that probably some of you are disappointed with your prayer life is you do all the talking. You don't stop and listen to what God has to say. When I have my prayer time, let me just tell you how I approach God. I just come to God and I lay my heart before him, honestly. And I tell God what's really going on inside me. I just begin to think about the biggest issues of my life or the things that are really turning my heart. And I just get honest with God about those things. They're not always good things. Sometimes they're painful things. Sometimes they're disappointing things. Sometimes they're great things. But whatever's turning my heart, I go to God about. And then you know what I do? I say, now God, now you just speak to me. And I just begin to get in his word. And I read his word daily. And I ask the Holy Spirit to begin to speak to me through his word. Because these are God's words. And you know what? Oftentimes God speaks to me so profoundly. There are times that I sense the presence of God and he fills me up. It's like a battery getting charged up. There are other times that I don't have a great sense, but I just know that I've been faithful to do what I believe God's called me to do and I've sought him in his word. But as I do this daily, God begins to change my life. You just listen to God and you say, God, is there anything that you want to say to me? And you read the word. Now, here's the second thing I just want to say to you. You've got to realize how much God loves for you to talk with him. By the way, I just quickly add to that little sentence, how much God loves for you to talk to him about anything. Again, it doesn't have to be something spiritual. It could be whatever is on your heart and turning you at that moment. It doesn't have to be religious. You just, you just, now you say, where do you get that, that I can talk to God about anything? Well, a few different places. Number one, I get that from reading the Psalms. The Psalms are unique because the Psalms aren't so much about God as they are to God. And you're reading people's prayers and songs of worship to the Lord. The Psalms mean mean songs. They were songs to God. And in the Psalms, you just read about people just really unloading their heart onto God. That's the first place I get that, whatever's on your heart. Secondly, I know that God made you who you are. He already knows what makes your heart beat. 
He knows that. He just wants for you to bring it to him in faith. It's an act of faith to bring it to God. Third, I just say, God wants you to share your heart with him because God's your father. In fact, in the New Testament, in the Greek, Jesus says that we're to call God Abba, which means daddy. Psalm 103, 13 puts it this way. It says, the Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who reverence him or those who take the time to revere him. Guys, I'll just tell you, those of you that are parents and that are listening, maybe, maybe you're listening and you're not yet a parent, but you know you will be someday. I'd like to tell you, I have three children. And when you have a baby and you're waiting for them as they grow up and become a toddler to speak their words, their first words, you can't wait for them to communicate with you. In fact, you hang on every grunt, every little thing that they say, hoping for those first words to come out. You just can't wait. And folk, in fact, you hope you're going to capture their first words on video because, boy, you just want them to communicate with you. That's how a parent feels about their kids. Some of you, you've not grown up spiritually enough to really have time with God in conversation. And God's looking at you saying, I just can't wait for you to speak. I just want you to speak to me. Some of you, you can speak to God, but for whatever reason, you've chosen not to. You know, there's no greater hurt for a parent than a child who's chosen not to speak to their parent anymore. It's tragic. I can't imagine how God must feel for some of you who have said, God, I'm not going to speak to you anymore, and you've stopped praying. God says, would you just come to me? And then number three, it leads to this. If you just listen, listen to me, hear this. God will listen to your prayers if they're sincere and if they're simple. In other words, you don't have to worry about using flowery language. You don't have to worry about, you know, using old English or something that sounds really spiritual. It's funny. I get around people who think that they have to do that. It's like, we beseech thee, thou, O God, for thy bountiful blessing, if thouest would come. And I, sometimes I think that God is listening to prayers like that. And God's going, first of all, you're not from England. And it's not 200 years ago. Second of all, God's looking at you saying, you realize I'm not from England. I don't speak in old English. In fact, God speaks every language. God knows all types of languages and he has all the accents. God speaks slang. God speaks American. God speaks proper English. God speaks all of it. He just wants for you to come to him with simplicity and sincerely authentic prayers, gutsy prayers, real prayers, honest prayers. You know, in one of Jesus's most famous sermons, Matthew chapter six, here's what he says about prayer. He says, when you pray, don't be like the play actors or the hypocrites. Notice this scripture. They love to stand in synagogues and on the street corners and pray so that people will see them. I tell you the truth. They already have their full reward. But when you pray, you should go into your room and close the door and pray to your father who cannot be seen. Isn't it interesting that God acknowledges you're not going to see him, but you should go to him anyway. And he says, your father who can see what is done in secret will reward you. And watch this. And when you pray, don't be like those people who don't know God. They continue saying things that mean nothing, thinking that God will hear them because of their many words. Don't be like them. Why? 
because their prayer is just a performance. Their prayer, it's just performance art. And God says, I don't want any of that. I want prayers that are simple. I want prayers that are sincere. And then let me give you this last one and then we're gonna be done. Write this down, fourth thing, as we kick off 40 days of prayer. God longs to be close to you. That's why we're doing a spiritual growth campaign that's gonna encourage you to get close to God because friend, look, God desires this so deeply. Stay with me here. I hope that this just sinks deeply into your heart how much God wants for you to know him intimately. How much God loves you. Now for some of you I know right now that's hard to swallow because some of you, you feel so far from God. You feel like that you failed him. <laughs> I want to read to you from a scripture. It's actually one of my favorite passages of the Bible. And I want, you to, I want you to let it sink deeply into your heart as we read it. Because see, this is exactly how Israel felt. They felt like, how could God want to be close to me? Notice it says in Isaiah. It says, but Jerusalem which by the way is a reference to Israel. Jerusalem was the capital of Israel. And it says, but Jerusalem, speaking of the people said, the Lord has left me. The Lord's forgotten me. Why? Because they knew how badly they had messed up. They're saying we've messed up too much. How could God ever love me again? Look what the Lord says, how the Lord answers. Can a woman forget the baby she nurses? Can she feel no kindness for the child to which she gave birth? Even if she could forget her children, God says, I could never forget you. See, I have written you on the palm of my hands. Somebody asked me one time, what's the deal with the hands? Why the hands? God says, I've written your name there. I'll tell you why the prophet uses hands. It's because you use your hands for everything that you do. You use your hands to open doors. You use your hands to give people hugs. You use your hands, you know, to fix your hair and look in the mirror. Everything that you use your hands to write, everything that you do, you see your hands. And what God is saying is, God says, in everything that I do, I want you to know, I think of you. God says, you're everywhere to me. And then notice what God says. He goes on and he says, Jerusalem, I always think about your walls. Oh, what's that mean? Well, see, the walls of Jerusalem had been broken down. <laughs> you see, they were devastated. They had let themselves become corrupted and they had been invaded and there were things that happened as a result of sin and, well, they were just demolished. And God says, I see your brokenness. I see your walls. I never stop thinking about them. But God says, I love you and I want to heal you. God says, I've never stopped thinking about you. He says, you're written here on the palm of my hand. If you would just turn to me, he says, I see you everywhere I look. I'm waiting to talk to you. God says, I'm waiting to just speak life into you. If you just let me, would you let me? I pray you do that over the next 40 days, beginning today that you'd commit yourself to God and commit yourself to others. That you'd pray sincere and simple prayers. That you'd apply yourself to growth and say, God, I want to be a different man or a different woman than I am. I commit to it 
as I invite others in to help me. Let me pray for you and with you. Father, I just pray a simple prayer and a sincere prayer. Lord, I just want people who are uh, watching this right now in their homes or on their computers or on their phone, on YouTube, Facebook, wherever they are, I pray for them right now. I pray they'd know you better. And I pray that they would fall in love with you the way that I've fallen in love with you. I pray that they would love you the way that you love them. I want them to know you, God, the way that I know you. Would you reveal yourself to them? I ask you to take these words and sink it deeply into their hearts and cultivate in them a life like they couldn't have imagined. Thank you for them. In Jesus' precious name, amen.